Magnolia Pictures is proud to release The Square, the new film from force majeure director Ruben Ostland, called Savagely Entertaining by the Los Angeles Times and Outlandishly Funny by Time Magazine. The Golden Globe nominated The Square is currently playing at the Film Society of Lincoln Center and in theaters across the country. The Sundance Film Festival is returning to Park City, Utah, January 18th through the 28th. Check out the newly announced program of world premiere films, virtual reality, and special events. Plus, get the lowest rates on lodging at sundance.org festival. Hello and welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. My name is Violet Luca, and I'm the digital producer. It is time at last for our annual critics poll of the best films in 2017. As the calendar wends to a close, we collect and tabulate votes from our contributors over the past year. I was joined by... Nicholas Rapold, Editor-in-Chief of Film Comment. And... Michael Kresge, Editorial Director at the Film Society of Lincoln Center and Film Comment Contributor. To go through the top 10. You can see the full top 20 on our website at filmcomment.com slash best hyphen of hyphen 2017, which includes links to interviews and articles about the films. Here's our conversation. Why don't we start with number 10 on our list, which is Greta Gerwig's Lady Bird. Did this tickle your fancy? <laughs> Was it on your list? On my top 20, yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, it's, so there, there, yeah, there's like a full 20 here that you can see online yes. uh, and in the upcoming issue. And yes, yeah, so we, everyone who was asked to participate turned in 20 films. And Lady Bird did indeed make my top 20. It wasn't mm-hmm. in my top 10, but it was close. It's a movie that I think is really hard to find a lot of fault with. Yeah. I'd be interested to hear someone kind of come out with an excoriating take against Lady Bird. I mean, you can't. Not because I want to read that, but because I think it would be a challenge. I found mm-hmm. I find the film to be kind of like, you know, barely makes a false step. It sets in what it sets out to do. It kind of does it nearly perfectly. Isn't it a little maybe, too perfect? Maybe, maybe <laughs> it is. But maybe, maybe the thing that maybe you're not interested in the thing that it sets out to do. Yeah. Um, but um, I was just kind of touched by it completely. I found that the relationship between the mother and daughter, uh, Laurie Metcalf and Saoirse Ronan was, struck me as very authentic, struck me very, very interestingly erratic. I never really knew where it was going. I think that there are a lot of scenes that are just perfectly paced. I think scenes get in and out at just the right tempo and rhythm. Mm-hmm. I was really touched by the handling of the Lucas Hedges character and his, his coming out I thought was very genuine. Mm-hmm. I was very moved. I don't know. Yeah. Nick, what do you think? It's a movie that was, I guess, a relief to have around to watch just in the sense that kind of a positive portrait it's it's not a movie that i got wildly excited about but but on the other hand i'm not sure it's a movie that aims to like blow you off your feet or something no. um it's well-worn territory but it's done very well but i thought part of the appeal maybe was that it wasn't as as well-worn as it could or should be just that the 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 just giving such attention to uh you know young young woman's in all, all facets of her life and very much from her perspective and without making her a caricature in in some way or or cutting her down and that's also i mean one thing i really did love that i can be less reserved about is i was told in no uncertain terms that this is no longer a name i can screw up <laughs> like that that moment passed a year or two ago so sirisha ronan spelling it is much harder yes it is but no seriously i i just yeah i was really pretty stunned by by her performance and her accent i mean laurie metcalf i've seen her on stage i mean i i just find her to be like mesmerizing of course no she's one of our greatest actresses so it's like exciting to see her get something worthy of her talent very unsympathetic performance too i mean she's not angling for audience sympathy which no, i also right. like which i guess also happens in the alice and janney performance in i tanya if we have to talk about <laughs> stupid awards and i don't want to talk about awards but because they're they're constantly pitting these two mm-hmm. actresses against each other in oh, that really? category and it's it's kind of like battle of the unlikable mothers <laughs> which oh. is too bad huh I'm blissfully unaware <laughs> stay that way well, blood sport well this is a fun fact about nick you live in an igloo right in alaska and you have no internet or communication it's true it's, <laughs> it's true. interesting 
Yeah. Well, Columbus published in an igloo. It, <laughs> yes. In fact, I never leave it's the a igloo. frosty magazine. It has wheels and I carry it with me wherever I go like a tortoise. <laughs> well, let's talk about number nine, which is James Gray's The Lost City of Z, one of two marvelous Robert Pattinson performances of this year. Oh, yes. Heavily bearded. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I have to say I'm very happy to see it there uh, just because the usual bias against movies from the early part of the year fortunately didn't strike. That curse did not strike that film. Mm-hmm. Nor did it strike another film to be named later. <laughs> I think several of the films, most of the films from this on this list are actually from earlier that's actually in the year. Which unusual. Is, that's kind actually of, true. That's which is, unusual. Yes, which is cool and unusual. And mm. uh, please subscribe to the magazine, support great journalism. Anyway, <laughs> Michael, <laughs> you interviewed James Gray. That's right. You had uh, lunch with him. I had a, a, a lovely extended lunch with a voluntary Mr. lunch with him. Well, anyway, yeah, I had there's a, I had a feature um, on the film in an earlier issue of the magazine, and he's a great filmmaker and a lovely guy, as it turns out. But Lost City of Z was, oh, it's just was just such a surprise for me. I mean, it's one of those movies where you kind of know the subject matter going in. It sounds like it's going to be a particular kind of genre film, and then it mm-hmm. kind of explodes your ideas of what that could be because it's such an interior psychological portrait. I suppose. Mm-hmm. I mean, the last. And I really, for so many people haven't seen it still, so I don't want to spoil it for people. But the last 20 minutes of that movie yeah. are, it reaches a level of transcendence that I think few American films would even dare do, let alone mm-hmm. attain. And yeah, I, funny you bring up Pattinson because I forgot he was in it, but that's a complete compliment to him because yeah. he disappears into that small supporting role. Mm-hmm. It's actually not a small role, but it's a supporting role. But I, I mean, so few actors just kind of, give themselves up or over to a character the way he does in that movie. I mean, you kind of have to like squint to see him in that mm-hmm. film. He's, um, he's kind of like the right hand man of, of the main character played by Charlie Hunnam. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Charlie Hunnam, who's actually good in the film. I think <laughs> I like um, you're like, actually, <laughs> I don't mean what? anything by that. Actually, I mean, he's just, terrible. you know, I, and I, I don't, I, you know how people have biases against very beautiful people and you think that which is not really, so good. really um, hard and unfair, <laughs> which is hard and unfair. I don't think it's a particularly amazing performance, but I think that it gets the job done. I think he's sturdy and I think he puts a lot of passion into the role, but it's just amazing in comparison to this Pattinson performance, which is just like, I'm going to show up, put on spectacles, grow a long beard you're not going to know who the, who I am no. for half the film, and then I'm going to kind of disappear into the <laughs> yes. night. And I just found that really um, amazingly lack uh, yeah. lacking of egotism. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's <laughs> yeah, he's he's, a, he's the kind of figure like uh, in the Master or something, <laughs> just this weird figure that somehow crosses paths in history. In the Master, he happens to be like the main event. Here, he just kind of crosses paths, and then at a certain point, yeah, he just drops out. Yeah. So, I mean, it's almost nice that the lead character this who's ostensibly could be the leading man hero is also a little bland. Maybe. <laughs> we so, are being so mean to Charlie. But, 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 I, but, it, but I, I don't feel that that's entirely an accident. Right. I feel like that's mm-hmm. almost like a reality that he's recognizing somehow about heroism or the falsity of heroism or the previous models we have of heroism of somehow, I don't know, and, but it's not quite in the other direction where we have a guy who's like this, totally charismatic anti-hero like mm-hmm. you know just to pick the very obvious like say an apocalypse now journey into exactly. the darkness of your soul you didn't go in the other direction so i find it's really interesting how that film is working just with our, our like film history in a way I yeah i think that's true i mean it, it has to be you know if you're making a movie like that now like a throwback colonialist adventure you kind of have to get some critique in there and i think yeah. it doesn't yeah. have an inherent critique with this sort of yeah like you say bland <laughs> hero this bland white guy mm-hmm. and it's not like there aren't racist values espoused in the film either that's very straightforward about that and um also i'm gonna give it a little shout out to the guy who plays the uh old fat guy who almost dies in the jungle that guy's great oh Ang- <laughs> angus mcfadden agnes angus Ag- <laughs> i'm sorry agnes. agnes i'm giving a preview of something coming up but <laughs> yeah, he's really, he, he, that's a great performance. It's true. Talk about somebody's forgotten. That's the thing. These little tiny supporting roles that are never talked about. These You'll go back and look at the um, Oscar winners or nominees for the supporting categories way back when. And these people had like a single scene. Mm-hmm. They had like 10 lines and they were still, but these days you have to have like a secondary lead performance to I be know. considered in the supporting it's category. So and you, it's just, you wouldn't have a, I could be a Tristrate in network or Ned Beatty in network, but isn't one oh, scene yeah. is so yeah. amazing. Yeah. These days, those people they don't get they don't get 
noticed, like an Angus McFadden in The Lost yeah, City of Z, true. who's pretty great. It's a beautiful film, too. Also shot on film, mm-hmm. we should say, which yes. is yes. increasingly rare. Is it the only movie that was shot on film in the... Mm. No. no. The answer is no. No, no, no. <laughs> but let's go from Angus to Agnes. <laughs> Agnes Varda and JR, who loves sunglasses, Faces Places is number eight on this list. I guess I have to talk about it because I'm a woman. <laughs> you don't have to. Let's pass it along. <laughs> we can just. I don't want to hear it. We can just skip it. This movie. <laughs> See, this is what happened. I remind no, you of the but gallery. Vi- yes. You wrote actually a very nice thing in the upcoming issue mm-hmm. of the of the magazine about it. Sure. Yes, and and you interviewed her. You interviewed Agnes Varder when she was at the Film Society. Yes, she was very cranky. In, uh, in her defense, she can do or be anything she exactly. wants. Exactly. Um, yeah. And that's what I was going to say is that I think there's been a lot of dumb internet chatter about Godard being mean to Agnes Varda. And it's like, okay, this is a movie. This is not real. It's not necessarily happening. So maybe let's um, But it is a documentary. That... So what is real? What's happening? What <laughs> is one real? I'm going to praise the film for being both very straightforward and also sometimes ambiguous and doing interesting things with the personalities that they create. I mean, the you know, after supposedly Godard uh, uh, blows off Agnes and leaves her a note that is ambiguous but leaves her tearful, Agnes finally gets to see JR's eyes, which I'm sure never happened before that moment in the film, but we do not get to see it, so... Shout out to all you literalists out there. Anyway, um, I, I don't know. It's just a wonderful way to show how these spaces that we're totally familiar with can be transformed with a pretty simple device. It sounds maybe it sounds a little contrived, but it's fascinating to watch these people sort of rediscover these places and people that they just happen to know. Yeah. Lovely film. I mean, yeah. I, I, I kind of left that movie really energized. Oh, yeah. I just, it, you know, I, I'm... I'm as um, susceptible to power of the art form mm-hmm. type films. And I, I, just watching her at her age be so tirelessly inventive is just really exciting to me. But also taking naps and breaks. Yes, let her take she's naps. old. I want to take a nap. I took a nap before this. You did? Oh, no, I wish I had. I wish um, too. I did not take a nap. <laughs> I wish I had. Uh, I, I, I was just an interesting thinking about like the controversy about Varda and, and Godard, because I, I think she, she um, the complexity of that moment is far beyond what anyone is really yeah. recognizing and, and talking about it. And, yeah. and, and she, I just, I think it, it's, it's an amazing way to end that film, a film that, mm-hmm. and, and, and Viola, what you were, you were, you know, saying that, yeah, both of you are saying that how it's innovative because it's a movie that starts off, you know, it really could be the kind of thing you've seen from like older filmmakers and documentary filmmakers especially that mm-hmm. where it, it's kind of a travel log and and maybe they didn't even shoot all of it mm-hmm. uh, but but I mean it's not that at all it starts out like that but then it's almost like it ages and gets wiser as it goes along mm-hmm. in, a, in a beautiful way and to, in the end it's the best kind of sucker punch in the end I don't know anyone who wasn't warned of it that could have predicted an ending that where she made herself that vulnerable. Yeah. Uh, again, even if it's a movie and, and it's it's some sort of performance of, mm-hmm. of some feeling, for a person to make a movie that is in some way has a very valedictory feel mm-hmm. and she includes that pain mm-hmm. is just an amazing act of artistic honesty and stringency that I think it really is not fully appreciated. Yeah. Part of my objection to the like memification of Agnes Varda is that she has radical politics and she's a radical artist. And, you know, now we can be like, oh, make jokes about hybrid films and blah, blah, blah. But like in when she did La Pointe Court, that was a radical thing to do. And I think what you just described is a perfect example of how she puts that into her film and people can just sort of like glaze over it in a way that's very annoying. Um, I couldn't imagine the film ending any other way. And it's a very, um, yeah, it's a, it's a real, for an artist who's as established and respected, it is a very powerful gambit that totally pays off. Yeah. I mean, it's a movie that could have just cruised on without that. Yes, exactly. And she did not. (laughs) No, but she's also savvily thinking about how to create a narrative from what could be sort of random documentary images. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. it's it's a very powerful film throughout. It's a very enjoyable film throughout. But I mean, 
she's making a movie that has an yeah. arc and that it has an emotional crescendo mm-hmm. and she's thinking about narrative when she's doing these things. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. I, I also just the, over, the concept of that film, like I know it's a co-directed film, you know, ostensibly with JR and it's, that's a JR photo project, but mm-hmm. the way that it just ties into her whole career, I mean, the way that her films have been dealing with photographic still images for yeah. so long and always sure. I mean, in, in, in daguerreotypes and murmurs and documentaire, mm-hmm. I'm just kind of in awe of how she has like devised this career that feels like this complete conceptual piece, right? Mm-hmm. Like this is the final, hopefully not, but it could be, it, she takes a long time between films now, yeah. very tired. This could be like the final piece in the mosaic. You know, mm-hmm. this is just a very consistent, beautiful career. Yeah. And she, I mean, I do think she is thinking about legacy. I mean, she talks very frankly about death and what it means to her. And I, and that's another very rare thing to see in a film that, you know, obviously stars are very youthful, young. And then every couple of years, it's like, oh, here's the old people movie that's going to come out and it shows what it's really like. And they're they're always so fake. And this is just a very earnest look at that. So shout out Agnes and begrudgingly JR. <laughs> Sorry, he's Wait, not that bad. Why begrudgingly? He's fine. You he's, think, again, you think he's going to you think you're going to be totally annoyed by this guy. He turns out to be very sweet and very genuine. Yeah, he's he's her flavor flav. Yeah, basically. But that's also <laughs> a great trick of editing and filmmaking. Exactly. Yeah. It made you think that he was a charming, wonderful guy. Do you have personal knowledge that he is not a charming guy? I don't. I don't. But I mean, it's just the. I would say I know a lot of people who are like, yeah. oh, my God. I mean, I'm talking about like every person before yes. I saw this movie. He's like, yes. oh, my God. Why did you have to make it with that guy? Yeah, because you're like, oh, my God, he's he wears, a stupid you know, hoopster. And then, hoopster and wears like, sunglasses. Even though his, <laughs> I mean, the, 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 pro, the photo project is a great one. I mean, mm-hmm. there's, there's no question. They're very impressive. You want to call them gimmicky, whatever. There's, mm-hmm. there's an idea behind the gimmick. It's a good gimmick. But for everybody I know who is like, oh, dreading the thought of watching that a movie where he's the co-star and co-filmmaker, they all came out thinking, oh, he's not so bad after all, which is clearly part of how that movie's constructed. Yeah. They're not yes. going to leave in all the yeah. horrible times that he screamed at people. <laughs> or she did. Right, Because right. it's, it's like, sorry, Agnes Varda has the right to be a total uh, meanie. She can be pissed off. She can do whatever she wants. Anyway. We better be careful about how far we push that because we could be inciting her to murder. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> Nick makes a valid if, point. If there again. is no God, all is permitted. <laughs> Isn't that the final message of Faces Places? <laughs> it's it good is. To end on it's funny that that, that kind of just comes up on screen. You're not expecting it. It's unforgettable. And it's interesting that she uses a, the kind of Star Wars scroll for it as well. <laughs> oh, I thought it is came it? on with the mother font where it's like sl- <laughs> slashed across the screen with, a, with an yeah. exclamation point, a blood exclamation <laughs> point. Well, you saw an alternate cut. <laughs> well... Let, after that, speaking of, speaking of death, death, speaking of death, you guys now both gone. know segues so oh well. <laughs> so impressed. Nothing but segway. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, let's talk about Albert Serra's The Death of Louis XIV, another icon of French cinema. That's true. Another Dying. old French person mm-hmm. whom we idolize. Well, I feel like we're agreeing a lot. Do we all agree about this movie? No. Ah, point counterpoint. <laughs> fight. Let the My, blood Michael's sport making begin. the fight, fight, fight gesture. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I try. Here's my thing. I like. I, I feel like this could have. I, I like what it's going for, and I feel like it's actually a very funny movie. Like it's just showing the pomposity and the ridiculousness of the court. However, I do feel, I feel like it's kind of a Tim and Eric's sketch that just goes on for way too long. And I kind of like, after a while, I'm like, okay, I get the joke, do something else. And it's just okay to me. What's the joke? Um, Death. Death, basically, that this very old pompous man can't even die in a way that is remotely natural or normal. And that he has a Dr. Steve Brule come to attempt to save his life and is just giving him like horse piss injections. Yeah, I I, de- I definitely saw it as as a, a joke, but but also like tragic, you know, all the usual things you might say about the tragic a tragic reckoning with mortality, with power, with carnality, with uh, and uh, you know, with uh, Leo himself and as as a screen being, um, and I, I I know, yeah, there probably is a way of of summing up the movie as as a kind of. It's kind of a joke. I mean, I have to say, it probably has the best 
punchline of any movie on this list. Yes, um, the end that lasts over. The- <laughs> I don't even know. I don't want to spoil it. Yeah, sorry. It, <laughs> but but it's also it's actually a line that also like perfectly it encapsulates a lot of what it's saying about, um, yeah, just one's one's smallness in history, the accident of history, the accident mm-hmm. of existence, the accident of power. Um, and I, yeah, that was also as, as a kind of movie, that's a whole movie where the whole movie is like a memento mori. Mm -hmm. That's also, you know, worked for me somehow. It felt right to have that movie on our cover, Mm -hmm. March, April, um, (laughs) just a dying King, uh, because it just somehow that mood of, of just totally curdled and ineffectual, ineffectual decadence and just rotten power somehow seem to resonate. I don't know what you're referring to, uh, but it's interesting to think of it as a wishful moment. Well, <laughs> I hope it, yeah, well, no, I, yeah, I mean, um, I mean, if you think of it as that, because on one hand, it's charismatic, it's, it's a charismatic portrait just because they're choosing Jean-Pierre Leo, and it's not, I don't know, let's say if it was, we'll take another, like, iconic, older, art, golden age of the art house um, actor, Michelle Pukely. Uh, who uh, immediately jumped to mind when I when I thought about this? He, I mean, if you think of him in this place, the, I mean, I don't know. There would be just a, a wryness to it, or something that, just something about the ugliness, but also comical aspect of this portrait of, of, of power. So that's what I mean, like decadence. Definitely, yeah. Not everything do I have to connect to the terrible state of affairs. But it's a nice connection between <laughs> the fun. two movies about Leo. It's yeah. a nice connection between. Faces places in this movie that you know we do have. There's like a handful of the great French New Wave figures yeah. left, mm-hmm. and it's always sure. great. It's always welcome to yeah. see them. There's a certain kind of, um, I guess, if there's a joke, it's almost like a joke that Sarah's playing on Leode to a certain extent. Mm. Um, that I don't know. I don't think it makes me uncomfortable, but it's it's certainly there. I mean, you know, to watch this one's vibrant twelve year old. Yeah. Frolicking at the frolicking at the beach. It's not really frolicking from four hundred blows, and then to kind of look yeah. at his desiccated, wise face. <laughs> yeah. de- What's more desiccated than Louis? But yeah, it is. It is like a portrait of, of aging too, in, in every aspect of it. It's not always pretty. It is kind of unintentionally funny sometimes. And another, I have to say, just like visually ravishing film. Mm-hmm. Like so much of it just looks like you were looking at a painting that came to life. Well, maybe now we can move to another museum piece. Ex Libris, the New York Public Library, directed by Frederick Wiseman. Nick, I know you're a big fan. I am. I could, I could go on and on and on about this film. I, I wrote a review of it uh, for our September-October issue. And, yeah, I, it's, it's a great film period. Um, you know, not even a great documentary. I just think it's a great film about... Uh, about democracy, about knowledge is power, about race and class, uh, about urban spaces, and about uh, thinking about how we visualize literature or, or how we th- really almost about thought. I thought a lot of interest in this movie is, was watching how he dealt with the proposition of a documentary about a library. Mm. Okay, so there'll be people reading. What am I going to film exactly? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think just from almost a purely like filmmaker perspective, I was fascinated by the kind of, it's like he posed himself, part of that was the problem he posed himself. And and he, all the ways he found of doing that, you know, one of them is just a guy uh, being dubbed for a book on tape. And that was almost like a, a scene from a drama, just a, like a dramatic it was a dramatic reading, but you're also seeing fiction performed and you're seeing someone receive it and listen to it as well. I, I don't know. That scene alone <laughs> is great. So, yeah, I can't, I can't really say enough about it. And, and it's part of this later phase, I think, where he's definitely being a bit more explicit about his hopes and aspirations for the world that he is reflecting in his films. So, I mean, I think it has to be admitted that it's not just a film that's like, about democracy it's also utopian in its inflection of what it's watching I, i'm trying to figure out why i didn't respond to it as strongly as the some of the recent wiseman films and i'm not i'm not really critiquing or, or criticizing it very much i think it's wonderful in jackson heights struck me as the movie of the moment if i have to 
put that definition on it, but it like maybe the best American movie um, I've seen about immigration. Mm. And that, that for me, there was no better movie that year. And I'm not saying that every movie that he makes has to have the same emotional impact on me, but it, it really felt like the, like the plurality of voices and spaces and the way that it jumped around from place to place had this kind of beautiful poetic geometric precision that I wasn't quite getting as much in Ex Libris, which really felt like, I know, I, I know that so much thought goes into the sequence and the order of scenes and what comes after what, but it felt a little more randomized to me. And I think that probably works. I mean, the New York Public Library has so many branches, it jumps around the city, it keeps coming back to the same, it has the, the locus, of course, is 42nd Street, so it keeps coming back to that branch, and then you get trapped in those long meetings. Anyone who's worked in a nonprofit who gets stuck in a lot of meetings doesn't necessarily want to go to the movies and get stuck in more meetings. Yeah, that's why I never <laughs> though, watched The Office. Though, was it, though I, they yeah. occasionally interesting, but it, it definitely um, gave a lot of screen time to him. But I, and I, I find it to be a fascinating movie, and I love all the different things that are happening in it. But for some reason, like National Gallery and Jackson Heights, um, they just were, they kind of like floated off into the air for me. Like I lost a sense of time. I never wanted them to end. This one, I was kind of wondering where it was all coming to. That said, it's a terrific movie. Um, I love that there's like a long Elvis Costello scene, <laughs> who's actually really interesting. And you get to see his, uh, his father, right? And, and there's, a oh. clip, there's a clip of his father performing from from uh, many years earlier oh, that's yeah. sort of incredible. Yeah, they're all sorts of strange little echoes. And then in like the next scene, you know, there's this whole discussion about how to update and correct high school textbooks to have information that's not racist in it. Mm. And that's really fascinating. Yeah. Um, and that's actually an incredibly difficult thing to do, apparently, yeah. because they're not going to change the textbooks unless someone makes a very specific correction, right? They're not going to automatically do this. I think they were, it was the library dealing with McGraw-Hill. I think that was what the discussion was about. Anyway, it's, and then you're right. There's, right. there's the audiobook recordings and it, there's so much going on and it's all interesting that it becomes a little, it's like knowledge overload that that shouldn't be a thing, but, um, it's beautiful. It is, it is a movie that's kind of like full to bursting with, with stuff. It's kind of felt like the library in a sense, like you go there, like there are books all over the place, there are books on the floor, it's publicly funded, so no one's actually able to shelve everything. <laughs> so, but I, I mean, yeah, I, t I take your point. And, and I wonder, comparing it with In Jackson Heights, and um, it's interesting because just to speak very broadly, like maybe that's one that's more organic, organically structured around the flow of people, maybe more. And Ex Libris kind of oscillates between being about the people who are there and kind of the structure of the system and the structure of the knowledge and, and other layers. Yeah, it's more of a flow of ideas. Flow of ideas, people, yeah, maybe. The people seem maybe less important. The Film Comet Podcast is sponsored by Magnolia Pictures. Magnolia Pictures is proud to release The Square, the new film from force majeure director Ruben Ostland, called Savagely Entertaining by the Los Angeles Times and Outlandishly Funny by Time Magazine. The Golden Globe nominated The Square is a precisely observed, thoroughly modern comedy of errors, a film with laughs and ideas in equal measure. The Square is currently playing at the Film Society of Lincoln Center and in theaters across the country. The Sundance Film Festival is returning to Park City, Utah, January 18th through the 28th. Check out the newly announced program of world premiere films, virtual reality, and events at sundance.org festival. Passes and ticket packages are available now, and tickets go on sale in early January. Number five on our list, Bertrand Bonello's Nocturama. Can we do that thing? Do you, did you ever what, listen to radio in the 80s and they would have like a robot voice for each number? So it'd be like, number five. <laughs> <laughs> or I'm just, re I remember Talking the singing. <laughs> I remember the singing voices where it'd be like, number five. Oh, yeah. That was That's the melodious model. Yeah. It is one of my favorite movies of this year. It's a Shirley Bassey yes. cover of My Way, which, which makes the gender bending in it even more incredible. <laughs> A man singing a cover of a song about a man's right to do whatever he wants. <laughs> right. Sung a by a woman. Yeah, that's what I said. Lip sync by a man in drag. Lip sync, yes. No, I'm just clarifying. That's what I said. You kind of said it. How did I not say it? Nocturama. <clears throat> number five, Nocturama. And Violet, you are a strong proponent of this film. I, yeah, I quite enjoy it. And um, in fact, wrote a, a uh, frame, an analysis of a particular shot in the film. Well, sequence. sequence. Sequence in the film. Yeah. Now we have to cut again. <laughs> but why, 
Are you surprised to see it here? I have to say I'm somewhat surprised to see You're it You're surprised. Why? Because uh, I thought that it was a film that was particularly divisive. And mm-hmm. I didn't think that people would necessarily yeah, gravitate toward it in this way. It is a little bit higher than I expected, um, but I'm happy to see it there. It's a movie that I've thought about a lot. I would say um, it was. It's, a, it's an interesting year in, um, for films and, and to like make lists uh, for because there were so many movies this year that I really didn't know how I felt about them, mm-hmm. but they really stuck with me. Movies that were, you know, for lack of a better term, imperfect. I mean, everything's everything is imperfect. Nothing is without flaws. But there were a lot of movies this year that I felt especially. Those are movies I can't. So I'm thinking about. But there's just so many things about them that keep me from thinking it's great. Nocturama was one of them. Mother was one of them. Okja, Ghost Story. There are a lot of movies that I just think that have such strong, strong images. And they just really, really borrowed into my brain. Yeah. And Nocturama is one. But Nocturama, out of all those movies, is the one that always kind of like keeps getting a little higher in my estimation. Like, because mm-hmm. I, I saw it again and then I was more impressed by it. And the things that stick with you are so, so strong. Um, and that last section which you t- which you write about in the magazine violet is really haunting yeah i mean i feel like bertrand Bonello he sort of did what so many uh directors try and fail to do which is represent the experiences of the young like what a current generation is sort of feeling and i think the hopelessness of that final scene the fact that they are yeah i won't i won't spoil it for all of you but um I think he's really tapping into something and some of the images, it was hard not to think of Black Lives Matter. Hands up, don't shoot. But yeah, I love this movie and I'm, I was also sort of surprised to see it this high, but. I suppose this is a point where I should admit the list is rigged. <laughs> but uh, anyway, you were saying. You just asked Violet where it should go. She said, number five. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would just think the construction of the film, it's not, it's, and it's not, cause it's not just that it has like standalone images. I would say that's like a movie um, of, of the movies I just named, I, like Okja and a ghost story, for instance, are movies this year that have particular images um, and compositions that are kind of seared into my brain. Whereas mm-hmm. movies like Nocturama or Mother actually are movies that I find con- like structurally very complex and mm-hmm. interesting where the filmmakers are just doing things with rhythms within scenes, um, bifurcating the narratives. They both did that. And it, to, to really quite, uh, extraordinary effect. Um, Nocturama's first half is just really extraordinary procedural um, of these kids going around Paris and they're doing something nefarious and <laughs> you're trying to figure out exactly what it is. I think you can say that they're terrorists. It's yeah, except that isn't that the fraught word that, oh. that, that I think... What, how does Bonello actually feel about, didn't, about using the word terrorism? I thought that he actually didn't want people to call them terrorists. I think that it's sort of ambiguous what they're protesting against but that it is vaguely something about this incredibly unfair economic system that we're all currently suffering under is again sort of lends itself to is that really terrorism well i mean it's 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 it i think maybe he's also reticent to use the term because of what terrorism means now exactly i mean it's obviously a term used in the 70s as well but it definitely harkens back to like an extreme leftist Mm -hmm. version of that that was happening more often in the 70s early 80s but um and that's what's interesting about the film. It has this timeless quality. Mm-hmm. Like, does it's, you know it's taking place now, but it really feels like it could be taking place 40 years ago. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's a strange, like, diverse, like, multicultural cast. And I think someone, maybe, was it Howard Hampton in the article he wrote for us, called it, like, a Benetton ad of yes. terrorists? I think that's really, uh, it's, it's, it's a movie that um, I feel constantly like that provokes. it, though. To call it a Benetton ad is like to, is, I well, think. Well, it, jo- it was a joke. I mean, right. I think that there's a certain amount of jokiness in the film about that, too. No? You don't think the fact that he has, like, a cast of very diverse, attractive young people who look like they kind of, like, sprung out of an ad for, like, multicultural understanding that they're enacting this on the streets of present-day Paris is kind of one of the points? Mm, I don't know. I don't mm. think so. Well, it's interesting how he does he does play out the drama of the class tension even within the group. Yeah, and 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 who who is you know guiding the group and who is more getting deployed mm-hmm. uh, is an, it was an interesting thing. And who causes their downfall? Right, is also sort of well. Yeah. I mean, it's it's ambiguous who causes the downfall, but yeah. I mean, for me, as a, as a, as an experience, it was a surprising one. Uh, I mean, I think Violet, you and I might have gone to the first same screening and you can attest that I was not over the moon about this movie right away, but it was so, which it's a movie that kind of had to sink in for a while 
and is a good reason why it's really hard when people run up to you right after a movie and ask you what you think. It's, it's literally <laughs> the worst. I run. I run. I run. Out. So and yeah, I mean, when I was listening, you wonder why, if you think I'm unfriendly or something, I'm not. I just, I run out of movies <laughs> because I see people milling about waiting to ask me what I thought and I yeah. just can't, I can't. Like, like I'll bounce. find a back entrance. Like, is there a back way out of here? Like I'll, <laughs> anything I can to not talk about a movie this Yeah, you have that, that rudimentary ends. disguise you put on with the mustache so sometimes when you come out. <laughs> yeah. That's a good idea. One last thing, what? one last thing about Nocturama is it's still a movie that for me is imperfect. Like I still have problems with it, mm-hmm. but it's, it's, it's ambitions and maybe the over clean visual sense it has, but still is still impressive to me. It is still a problem to me how callow the actors feel in it. Mm. It's not just the characters. I really didn't always feel that the actors were, uh, were up to the, the challenge of really, really thorny drama. Well, I mean, I feel like, you know, and, he and, says, he says he was so influenced by the devil. Probably. I, I think he was probably going for that. He probably... Yeah. told them to kind of drain the personality out of them. It, it's hard. That's yeah. a hard thing to do as an actor, right? Yeah. Some people can do it. Some people can't. Definitely. I mean, it's it's almost like, yeah, maybe he didn't quite reach the level of <laughs> Brazonian tyranny. Uh, I just heard, um, I don't know, I talked to Pierre Lohm, who was um, shot one of Brisson's films about just the exacting control. So maybe Bonello was, couldn't, couldn't quite reach uh, that level <laughs> of scaring people. Did you see it more than once? Monarch drama? Yeah, I've seen it twice. Yeah, because I, I really, for the once first forward, time I saw it. backward. <laughs> <laughs> I and had, if you put it over itself, yeah, you project it onto itself. While you play Dark Side of the Moon. And also <laughs> The Shining. You have a TV in the corner that has The Shining on it. You look over and you're like, holy shit, it's the same movie. <laughs> and if you play chopsticks on a piano while it's happening. <laughs> I think you well, get a prize. <laughs> I think you, you just get a prize is what happens. <laughs> The reason I asked if you saw it again was because um, the first time I saw it, I had a, I had a similar response. Like I, I felt like I was being kind of jabbed. And whenever I feel like movies trying really hard to provoke me, I tend to be a little more dismissive. Mm-hmm. And then the second time, I was able to appreciate the construction of it. Mm-hmm. And I, it didn't feel as provocative. It felt kind of sad. And that was interesting. And I th- that happened with Mother, too. I, mean, I, you know, I, I think it was a similar thing, right? Because you guys saw Nocturama at its Toronto premiere, right? The year, be- the year before, or it, it we saw it at an undisclosed method. Oh my place god! You got a special before. thing because Mother had this Toronto premiere, and in the last, you know, twenty minutes, people are just streaming out. <laughs> this is the this is the critic screening. It was like at nine a.m. Everyone couldn't wait to see the thrilling new fun there. And people were just streaming out in droves. Sorry, guys, you missed some of the best parts of the movie. Oh, I think that they were streaming out because of those best parts. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, oh, friends. Mother, which unfortunately didn't crack the top 20, but was very close behind. Mm-hmm. We okay. reached the final four. We've reached the final four. Uh, let's just get him out of here. Jordan Peele, get out. The film that nobody wants to talk about. <laughs> which is quite I, the opposite. No, I, I love this movie. Uh, uh, if we're talking about expectations, not that it really matters. I did think that this might place higher. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a movie that I... Um, yeah, could have been spoiled about the the, the hype for it. When I saw it uh, in a movie theater uh, on Forty Second Street with, uh, so not a critic audience of critics. It was fantastic. I remain in awe of of this of this movie. Just it just feels like one of the, you know again. I, I I don't think it's like a perfect movie, but I think it's just a, a rare movie. As yeah, well. I, it's it's yeah. Absolutely. I love that it's sort of like a horror movie for people who don't like horror films, where instead of getting into the the sense of like building up this tension in a certain way or like the mechanics of how a death is going to happen, it's just like, oh, you get to bite the curb now. That's, that's how, and like the, the, the violence is like very, very, very quick. Yeah. Um, and instead, it's just doing all this other stuff, which I think is really, again, like you say, it's not a perfect film, but oh, I really enjoyed it. I I watched it at home so I didn't have to listen oh. to people performatively laughing. Yeah. And I'm glad I did. I thought I had a perfectly great I, I, but I mean I would love to see it sometime in the theater to get to get a sense of that difference. Yeah. It it, it was great to see with an audience. I saw it yeah. opening weekend at BAM in Brooklyn and it was a it was a pretty split audience mm-hmm. racially and it was pretty fascinating to watch the the different responses. It was what I really love about this movie is the purity of the concept. Yeah. It's just a great idea. Mm-hmm. And you know that it comes from someone who 
has been honing his skills on sketch comedy for years. Yeah. And I'm not saying that it's a particularly funny film, though in some ways it, it is. It is very funny. It can parts, be. Yes. But the the high concept of the central idea, once you uncover what it is, could have been a really great 10 minute sketch yeah. on key and peel mm-hmm. right? right and i love how he's able to just kind of extrapolate that and make this kind of grand horror statement from mm-hmm. it it's it's he i'm excited about him as a filmmaker because not a lot of filmmakers writer directors have such an arsenal like that like oh, yeah. like the, the, the com that comic skills like that can be extended and turned into these dramatic devices is really exciting yeah and the other thing that i really like about the film is that it proves that hey you can make a movie that's not based on a book or a comic book or a musical or whatever, and it can make a lot of money and people will go see it and they can give a shit about it if it's original. I hope if nothing else, here are more original stories told really well that are interesting, that deal with something maybe more than when is the superhero going to get his powers and going to go and fight the big guy. Please, something. Something. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Other studios, please take note. I'm sure they are. I'm sure they are. Yeah, the, I'm sure they are because it was one of the top 15 highest grossing movies of the year. Not to be so mercenary, but let's little like brass tacks. That's how shit gets done in Hollywood. Made for comparative pittance. <laughs> yes. You know, and 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 I don't know. That's why I think it's such a rare movie. It has such a purity mm-hmm. to it in its concept, and yeah, still reached and connected with clearly millions of people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Number one movie this year was what? Wonder Woman? Fish movie or something? Isn't there another fish, fish movie? Is that a movie? Oh, Finding Dory. Finding Dory. That yes. was not this year. That was, was that last, last year. year. I, and that was terrible. Oof. I had to review it for it. What a sounds. stinker. I'm I'm forgiving of, of that Pixar also, machine tool well, that, products, here, but yeah, whoa, is that bad? Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Everyone shit themselves about Emoji Movie, and I'm like, hey- Children's movies have been bad, at least this bad for a long time. Like, why are you acting like this is the end of the world? It's not. <laughs> was the Emoji Movie 2017? It was this year. How come people aren't putting that on their lists? Outrageous. It's outrageous. The story of, I don't think I can remember any. Well, there's High Five, played by James Corden. Okay. This is interesting. <laughs> this is interesting. He's I mean- the High Five emoji. And then there's Smiler, who's um, like the Maya Rudolph. Wait, I tune out for a couple of minutes and we're listing the dramatis personae of the Emoji movie. It didn't quite crack Focus the top everyone. 20, but I think it was close. Sorry. Well, um, It should have. God damn it. Wait, I was wondering, what's the third, what, well, third well, highest vote getter? Well, gee, Nick, that would be Olivia Asayas's Personal Shopper, another film comment cover story. That's true. Very early on, actually, about a, a year before it was released. Yes. So but... read about it here first. Mm-hmm. Michael, were you a fan? Oh, yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I adored it. I was moved by it. I was scared by it. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll scream. No, I mean, uh, <laughs> Olivier Asayas is, I, I, you know, it, it, at this point, he's been such a mainstay of of you know cinephiles for so long now that it seems like I should be tired of him but then he always finds some new way of doing something and Absolutely. I just find his movies so completely enveloping you've always are looking at things in a way you haven't looked at them before yeah. um he's so swift with narrative he just that I mean that movie starts and it it's it seems like it's over in 20 minutes but it's like this full rich experience um it's a movie about grief but it's but it's kind of playful and it like skims across the narrative as opposed to kind of like say some of the other films we've been talking about doesn't wallow in it mm-hmm. um I I think Kristen Stewart is just more magnetic in that than she's ever been on screen I this just one of those uh movies that I really felt like I've never seen anything like this before. And um, I mean, if Asayas is doing that at this point in his career, please make movies forever and ever. Yes. I mean, uh, yeah, another movie that I kind of took a while to sink in in a way because it, it, there's there's such a deftness to his style that his, his movies can sometimes seem a little really, really intelligent, but uh, I don't know if glib is the right word, but there's some way in which there's such a quicksilver quality to them that, that you can miss what they're doing. It's almost like that with this, especially because, yeah, on, on its surface, it looks like, oh, what, you know, some sort of haunted story and you, you took a star and, and... She tries on different clothes. She tries on different clothes, you know, and 
I mean, I'll never forget um, reading about earlier in his career when he made Une Nouvelle Vie in 93, that uh, basically what he did, and he was still kind of, it was like maybe his, his, was his fourth feature. What he did was he shot a three-hour movie, and then he watched it, and he cut out all the boring parts. <laughs> and it was a 90-minute movie, ultimately. And that's how his movies still feel. They feel like there's just no downtime. It doesn't mean that they're awkwardly paced or lumbering, or you feel like you're not getting enough narrative information. He, he's just so he's just so pinpoint accurate in what needs to be shown on screen at any given time mm-hmm. and where the camera is at any given time is fascinating and perfect and it's just this level of craft and precision that very few filmmakers have and certainly very few filmmakers who were that level of art house darling in the 90s mm-hmm. you know I'm kind of tired of almost all the other ones I have to say <laughs> <laughs> I say us I'm just not tired of I'm, yeah. it's like Every time it's like, who's this 25-year-old filmmaker? Yeah, there is there is still such a youthful vigor to it. Yeah. So, damn, we all agree again. Well, maybe, well, nobody's going to disagree about the second title, which is Terrence Davies' A Quiet Passion, which I have not seen, shamefully. That is shameful. I, that's truly shameful. Um, How is that allowed? <laughs> um, uh, Am I fired? I, what just happened? <laughs> I don't think it's surprising for... Anyone who knows me to know that I thought this was the best movie of the year on my personal list. And um, that's not just because I'm such a Terrence Davies fanatic, but because I think this is a particularly amazing film. Well, I mean, we can start just talking about Cynthia Nixon, who um, plays Emily Dickinson in this film and gives the kind of performance that never wins awards, (laughs) that would never win an award because she's not trying to impress you she's not doing anything that would normally scream you know acting pyrotechnics what she's doing is fully inhabiting a very complicated person and and the fact that that person's a poet and usually how poets are represented on screen are these kind of like tortured you know like virginia wolf in the hours right Mm -hmm. these sort of these like tortured figures who are like always grabbing at quill pens and saying beautiful things out loud in front of people and everyone's you know doubting their brilliance this is this is party more than they actually write (laughs) right this is just a completely interiorized portrait i would say i mean the the way the poetry uses almost as a soundtrack element Mm -hmm. you just kind of hear it drifting across it's not really about her like process or coming into her own as an artist it's she's it kind of just like establishes her as this person who lived in this time and place and who died too young and wrestling with her own personal demons around religion and other people and family and romance. And it, it's such a complete portrait of a human being. And, and it's also interesting if we go back and talk about movies this year that have kind of like strange bifurcated structures, this one also like the first half is this almost like light breezy Jane Austen esque witty film where, where like there's a lot of exterior shots and it's a lot about her uh, relationship with this close friend of hers. And then in the second half, everyone kind of starts moving away from her and she becomes more and more closed off. And then after uh, her father dies in the film, there isn't another shot until the very, very last one that goes outside the house. The entire second half is within the walls of, of her house in Massachusetts, Amherst, Massachusetts. And the, 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 the level of suffocation and claustrophobia that you get from that is um, tough. I think, it's, I think it's really tough for some people to watch, which is why I have to say I am just delighted that it's this high on the list. I actually can't say that I expected it to be number two, and I'm thrilled. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised as, as well. I, I think this is a film that's been people are kind of rediscovering in, in this latter half of the year. It's definitely just the sense I'm getting from, well, not from this place in the list, but also generally people thinking about it, writing about it. Yeah, this is very, you say, just a very un, unsparing film. It's not It's not a film that's going to make people run out and want to be a poet. <laughs> for, for all the movies that try to convince us of like the, I don't know, artistic of artistic risk or nihilism and everything. This this is, you know, this is a film that, that uh, gets at the, I don't know, something about the, some, something really being at stake with being an artist and undertaking art and, and it not being some something that immediately sanctifies you somehow and, and, and makes everything beautiful in your life or uh, about you. Just uh, another another great surprise to see it here, Terrence Davies' film. And it just the, the subject matter allows Terrence Davies to do some of his kind of like great patented Terrence Davies 
flourishes, yeah. mm-hmm. um, which of course are for him, you know, they're still fairly morose <laughs> as if, <laughs> if I use the word flourish, yeah. but um, there are some sequences in there of things that just completely took my breath away. I, I that's, that sounds like a cliche, but I remember actually like sucking in my breath at one point. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's some just interior fantasy images, almost nightmare images perhaps um, where you really feel like you're, in someone's headspace, yeah, and it's very much structurally. I think it's very much like House of Mirth, his Edith Wharton adaptation, in the Another... way that's unsparing. But yeah, Quiet Passion. If someone's listening hasn't seen it yet, me. <laughs> um, I'm gonna so run home. Run right knock home. Knock that one out of the park. And now for our number one movie. Oh my god, I can't believe it's Bill Condon's Beauty and the Beast. That's right, folks. <laughs> Uh, it's not a film I expected to see at the number one, but let's just say I'm glad to see it there. Yes. Well, I mean, it, it answers the question, what's better than crappy hand-drawn animation? <laughs> crappy CGI. Cra- That's right. I can't it's- believe anyone would think it's a good idea to CGI over Dan Stevens. It's criminal. I'm not paying $18 for that. The <laughs> yeah, actual. So you have a Dan Stevens crush, I, I know. I do, movie bay. Did um, you see Beauty and the Beast? You won't after seeing I, Beauty and the Beast. No, I won't. <laughs> okay. I'm not going to. I'm not gonna. Wa- I sat all. I sat through all of Colossal. Another not- great film with Dan Stevens this year. <laughs> oh, I know. He doesn't do such good movies, but Dan Stevens is not in the number one movie of the Unfortunately, year. Unfortunately, no. It's a different British actor. It's Good Time. It is Josh and Benny Safdie's Good Time. Another cover story. I have to say, I re- I've I when I first saw it, I was super suspicious of it. And then something funny happened, and I was with it the whole way, and I've rewatched it actually twice with friends. We all really liked it. I liked it the second and third time I saw it. I feel like it's just a great, not to attack someone who's been on the show, but uh, I think maybe uh, A.O. Scott was pretty off base when he said that um, this is a movie sort of endorsing white privilege, when really it's about it's about how white privilege can get you up this completely crazy fucking thing. Like... The fact that he can just use anyone he wants at any time he wants. He sees them. He hones in. It's like, okay, how can I use this person? How can I frame this thing? How can I hit up my um, older girlfriend? So she has to be put under house arrest. How can I hit up this girl who says she's 16 but is clearly younger than that? How can I just sort of um, use her? How can I use this security guard? How can I use his house? Um, And just shows no respect for anybody in anything because he just has, he only cares about himself and he almost gets away with it. So I think, um, sorry, Tony, I disagree. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's, I, I, I don't, I hate saying that I, I, I keep getting surprised by what, what ends up wearing the list, but I, I guess I, in a way I am surprised by this because this is a movie where I, I did, I, I'm not sure it was the most popular movie this summer. Mm. Uh, and, and also critically, it did seem that there was a certain amount of backlash in certain quarters against it. But, you know, I've, I've had a similar experience where we're just watching it uh, again. And it's just a movie that's at every level, in every sense, a hustle. Yeah. It's it's a movie about hustle and, uh, you know, a hustle that's not pretty, <laughs> but sometimes actually is really exciting and, 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 and attractive. But also sometimes it's just dirty and you can't believe it's happening. But it also is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, uh, that's that's how, how the movie is, is uh, you know, sort of figuring in, in, in my head. Racism um, is ridiculous. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> yeah, and, and deadly. And yeah. I mean, it's... Uh, you know, it's it's yeah, it's interesting to 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 you know to, now if we want to pair different movies in this in this top ten, but like, it's there are a lot of energies roiling about in this top ten yeah. between like you know Good Time and Get Out and Nocturama and an Ex Libris and Phases <laughs> Places and, and Lady Bird in a very different way, but you know, uh, yeah, I don't know, Good Times. It, it was indeed Good Time. Well, what happens next now that we've decided which movies should not be burnt? I think we all bite the cyanide capsules. <laughs> well, <laughs> I have. We've been I had keeping a, in our cheeks. I had a proposal. Well, now that we know which movie is the best, uh, <laughs> what is a movie that each of us wished was in the top ten that is not? Which movie was robbed? I'm going to say Phantom Thread, Paul Thomas Anderson. I just don't think enough people saw it before submitting to this list. That's always a problem. With these sorts of uh, late? charades, these games. <laughs> By charades, you mean a movie that comes out late in the year. Yes. Technically has not even 
come out yes <laughs> in theaters no so no, yeah it is a problem that is a perennial problem that you mm -hmm. can go back and look at every other scorsese release yep that is not in the top 10 and uh, that is a factor mm -hmm. but i loved i loved um i loved phantom thread so much and it grows all the more i think about it and i can't wait to see it again vicky it's vicky creeps's movie and Leslie Manville's movie. And then maybe uh, like uh, that guy, what's his face? Uh, Daniel Day-Lewis, I guess. DDL. DDL. He's, um, he's sort of a supporting role. I think Phantom Thread is very clearly a movie that people are going to be talking about for many, many years. Mm -hmm. And I think that happened last year with Silence. You're right, yes. Nick, with yeah. Scorsese's Silence, which I didn't, I don't think factored into the top 10 because uh, people hadn't yeah. really seen it. Or if they had, it was a little too complicated to completely process. And I think yeah. Phantom Thread is kind of like that. Um, I, I, there's, there's, a, there's a Kubrickian quality to it. And I think that's Absolutely. tossed around a lot. But it, I, I don't, not that it's aping it, but mm -hmm. that Paul Thomas Anderson's actually able to sort of channel that. Um, there's, a, there's, um, there's almost like this um, stately monolithic quality to the movie that I'm, I'm really interested in. I, I think everything about that movie surprised me and yeah. I'm still processing it. And that's when you're still processing a movie that is that technically perfect. Yeah. There's a pretty good sign that you're going to be talking about this movie for a very long time and analyzing this for a long time. Yeah. And I'm, and Leslie Manville, I think everybody's brilliant. I think Daniel Lewis is brilliant. In no, the film. he's actually but, great. Uh, <laughs> Leslie, just being a jerk. Leslie Manville. I mean, who of course was the star of the great another year, a few years ago, robbed mm -hmm. of an award then too. She will always be robbed of awards because what she does looks so effortless. Yeah. You can't even, if you look at those two performances next to each other, you can't even believe it's the same person. And mm -hmm. um, she's playing this like Mrs. Danvers esque role. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of turned over everything. The movie well, is turned on its head. Well, that's right? what I was going to, I would say is that this is rather than Kubrick. I really thought of vertigo and this is sort of like Paul Thomas Anderson having his go at vertigo. And remaking it and reimagining and it. And turning it all over, over and, and over and again. And like looking at it through, like, kind of like looking at it through a prism <sighs> and different lights and figuring out what, you know, why is this a thing that, yeah. why is this like the object of, the crush object for every filmmaker ever? Exactly. And, um, yeah. it's, but it's not even a radical rethinking. It's like no. a gentle. I, I don't know. I think, I think the, the humor in it is pretty radical. And I think the ending is a little. It's radical in a fascinatingly gentle way, is what I'm saying. Mm. Like there, there aren't there aren't shocking things that happen. No. There are lightly surreal, weird choices. I'll put it that way. Mm -hmm. Okay, so mine is BPM Beats yes. Per Minute by Robin Beautiful. Campillo. And if anyone is seeing that movie for the first time, they're seeing and they haven't seen his films before. You're recognizing a very major talent. You should go back and watch mm -hmm. Eastern Boys from a couple of years ago, which is marvelous. I'm sad that BPM didn't rank higher. I think that it's the kind of movie that might be easy to write off because it seems like it's going to be like your usual kind of recent history film. And it's, you know, yeah. it's about um, ACT UP Paris activists um, in the early 90s and uh, their uncompromising, confrontational approach to activism. Um, and then it kind of like segues into a relationship film between two of the, of the members of the group. Another film that just like constantly surprised me, devastated me. Mm -hmm. Nothing that he does as a filmmaker is average, and um, I, I I think that people will keep discovering that film. And uh, Nick, what about you? Since you posed the question, you must have an answer, mustn't you? Oh, it's Mother. It's it's well, I actually, came up with another movie because uh, I knew you'd think it was Mother. Ooh, a fake out. <laughs> fake out. Um, yeah, it could be Mother. That could definitely be a movie I wished was on the list. Just you know, complete cine apocalypse. I guess just the human surge, yeah. uh, almost because Love the human surge, Love it because it came so <laughs> close to you know being pretty highly ranked, and and that's yeah. really exciting to me that people are seeing the movie, getting to the movie, uh, mm -hmm. and and you know rally apparently rallying behind <laughs> the human surge. Yeah, yes, the human surge, very special film, just. With this, you know, a, a, a kind of a movie with like about cinematic magic too, but also real world bizarreness, <laughs> connecting disparate spaces and places and headspaces, um, and you know, a, an exciting filmmaker to to watch and keep an eye on. Uh, so yeah, the Human Surge. Uh, I wish it had surged even higher. Oh, oh come on! Oh. Right. Well, thank you. This was a really fun journey through the top 10. Thank you. And I encourage everyone to go to our website and read about these films. And we have links to 
interviews and essays and mm -hmm. all sorts of goodies. And mm -hmm. also look for our January-February issue yep. with a full section on the year 2017 in February. Thank you, Violet. You've been listening to the Film Comet Podcast, produced by Violet Luca and Nicholas Rippold, with music by Greg Anji. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Film Comment is a bi-monthly magazine published by the Film Society of Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has featured in-depth reviews, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, art house, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomet.com slash subscribe to purchase a digital or print subscription to the magazine, or check out our app. Available on Android, iOS, and Kindle at filmcomet.com slash app. Magnolia Pictures is proud to release The Square, the new film from force majeure director Ruben Ostland. Called Savagely Entertaining by the Los Angeles Times and Outlandishly Funny by Time Magazine, the Golden Globe nominated The Square is currently playing at the Film Society of Lincoln Center and in theaters across the country. The Sundance Film Festival is returning to Park City, Utah, January 18th through the 28th. Check out the newly announced program of world premiere films, virtual reality, and special events. Plus, get the lowest rates on lodging at sundance.org festival.